Hello, welcome back to Brussels for another MLEX podcast. I'm James Paniki, MLEX's Brussels Managing Editor. And have your credit card at the ready today because we're talking about what you might have assumed was your God-given right to order luxury goods from a European internet portal. Well, not so fast. At least that's the take of an opinion prepared for the EU's highest court. The non-binding opinion by a Court of Justice Advocate General has argued that the supplier of luxury goods can impose restrictions on how the products are sold online. In other words, they can limit the availability of their goods to online portals to defend the high-end reputation of those products. The opinion takes the side of Coty, a German supplier of perfume and cosmetics, against German regulators who say that these restrictions create competition problems. Now, these are very much first world problems, I hear you say, sure. But the Coty luxury goods dispute has brought to the fore a number of issues relating to how online platforms sell goods and the effects of attempts to restrict the operation of those platforms. So it goes beyond perfume, quality shoes and handbags. Matthew Newman is a senior correspondent at MLEX who writes about competition issues. He's someone whose Spartan lifestyle and propensity to run marathons would not suggest a natural inclination for the purchase of luxury goods online, yet he has been watching this case like a hawk. Hello, Matthew. Hello, James. Now, let's take a few steps back. Firstly, why do the makers of luxury goods in Europe object to some of their products being sold online? Yeah, it's all about their prestigious image. These brands have spent uh, billions of euros, not exaggerating, building up over decades a prestigious brand. And one of the big problems is if you sell or allow a luxury good to be sold on Amazon or eBay, you no longer have control over that image. Now, you do have control if you sell it online through your own shop. So let's say LVMH or Chanel or Cody in this case, if they have a what's called a selective distribution system, they can tell that distributor, we want that website to have a certain look and feel to it to preserve the luxury image of our brand. So it has to look classy. The, the, the actual advertisement, the context in which this material is, is advertised has to uh, be commensurate with the quality of the product. Exactly, because why do people spend more for luxury goods? It's because it has a great image and they want to have that whole experience. Now, if you are, uh, let's say, uh, Adidas or Asics or uh, Deuter, these are um, products that may not be considered to be in the luxury goods category, um, you would say, well, wait a second, why can't I just sell my uh, rucksacks online through Amazon? Well, uh, Deuter would come back and say, well, wait a second, we, we want control over how our rucksacks are sold. We don't want any old distributor selling it at some cut-rate price. Mm. And that's also the underlying problem with this dispute. Is that It's all about who's going to be making money off of this. Is it any distributor who just wants to sell rucksacks? Or is it just uh, Adidas or just Deuter who's making money uh, But this, this is exactly why competition authorities in Germany are a bit worried because the moment it's about it starts to become an issue of who gets to control 
how the money is made. It's no longer about controlling your, your brand. It's about something else, isn't it? And here's a particular German problem. Mm -hmm. So uh, Andreas Munt, who's the head of the Bundeskartellamt, feels very strongly about these cases. He's an outlier uh, because according to EU law, um, they are, uh, these luxury goods companies are allowed to impose restrictions. And the, um, the trouble that the Bundeskartellamt uh, confronted was that they had EU law and then they had uh, these court cases that they, they thought that they were in every right to go after the uh, luxury goods companies. But the German uh, judge judges said, well, wait a second, these decisions that you're making are, are directly in conflict with EU law. So what I need to do is refer it up to the Court of Justice. That's what happened in this case. And Niels Wall, who's the an advocate general, as you said, came back with a very clear opinion. And he said, look, nothing's different here. You know, we have four decades of jurisprudence that says that a luxury good company, as long as they have what they call quality criteria for their resellers, that means that there's a reason to protect these brands. It's not just because we, we feel like protecting them. There's a, a, a reason to protect them because of their brands. Uh, and he said, look, that same law applies even on the internet. Uh, let's just, as a quick parenthesis, just, let's just remind people who are not familiar with the EU legal system, remind people what an advocate general does because his, his opinion might indicate the direction in which the court might ultimately go, but it is not, not a binding It's decision. not binding. Now, in, in this case, Niels Wall, uh, he's a very, very notable figure in the, the legal world, particularly because he's often taken kind of contrarian views. Uh, in this case, it's not contrarian legally at all, uh, because he's, he's saying like the, the court of justice should follow its own jurisprudence. Mm. And it's going to be very difficult for the judges at the Court of Justice to say, well, actually, we're going to overturn uh, four decades of EU law. Uh, so the people who are involved in this case are very confident that uh, his opinion will be fully supported by the court. Let's take just a couple of steps back of the legal process, at an EU level at least, and talk about the 2011 Pierre Fabre case. Uh, now, that's a case in which the Court of Justice found that an outright ban on internet sales is in fact in violation of EU competition rules, so companies were not able to simply say, no, you can't sell our stuff. Yeah, this is a really important part of the case because uh, the Pierre Faber case, again, it's about cosmetics, and it's one of these cases that seem really obvious. Everyone wants to promote internet sales. That's, that's kind of an EU-wide policy. And Pierre Fabre said, well, we only want our, sale, our cosmetics to be sold in uh, pharmacies, and that's it. And the, uh, the, the case went through the, the French courts, and they said, well, this outright ban on using the Internet as a sales uh, method was just against the EU rules. You have to allow people to use the Internet. They can have a... A distribution model, but you, you you can't just tell them you can't use the internet. Yes. And, and and that obviously gave some hope to those who are marketing online, saying, well, actually, on the on the basis of this, this means that uh, by implication, I suppose, all restrictions absolutely. Uh, need to go. Absolutely. So yeah. so Niels Wall steps in and he says, look, uh, Pierre Favre, this case, 
changes absolutely nothing because the facts of the case are different. You're talking about an outright ban on the internet, whereas in the Cody case, you're not banning anything. You, you can still sell on the internet. It's just that you have to sell under certain quality criteria. And then the people at the Bundeskartellamt are saying, well, Niels Wall, he doesn't quite get it because um, the world has moved on. And the uh, SMEs, the small companies in Germany, view Amazon and eBay as the essential way of selling stuff. Um, Germany is an outlier in that sense because two-thirds of retailers use Amazon. And, and so we're talking about retailers, aren't we? So we're talking about retailers who want to get the stuff online. They, they, they rely on these platforms to get their stuff out. And obviously the Germans or German competition regulators want to ensure that there is, in fact, a, an environment in which they can do that. Absolutely. And it's, it's all about uh, promoting a better price competition. Now, Niels Wall um, made a very interesting point in his opinion. Actually, competition policy is not always about price competition. It's about other things, other things that you may not be thinking about, and that's about protecting brand image, the luxury, the prestige of a certain product. Well, and but, but competition regulators in Europe are just going to laugh at that, aren't they? They're just going to say, well... Look, the moment we start adjudicating on, you know, beauty contests or on values that go beyond uh, price, uh, we're, we're really in uncharted territory and we can't head down that path. Well, the, uh, it's interesting to think, like, what is the reaction going to be from the other antitrust authorities? Everyone seems to be in line with the EU law. And I think it's because the, the, law, the, the rules have been quite clear. Selective distribution is 100% legal. It's been legal for decades. And you don't really want to start messing with this system because if you think about it, the luxury goods business industry is a multi-billion euro industry. It's one of the few success stories in Europe. Um, the figure that was quoted to me is that Europeans have 70% of the world luxury goods market. Um, so why do we want to start carving out different rules for online platforms and all that? I, I, I know that some people would say, you know, the world has gone, moved on, but why would... It's, it's sort of an own goal by Europe. Yes, they, but, but, but there's the slippery slope element to this, and you mentioned, uh, you know, sports goods uh, earlier on. When is a luxury good a luxury good? And why shouldn't this apply to everyone? Even just the very definition of what constitutes a luxury good could ultimately become highly controversial. Where do you draw the line? Yeah. How good does a shoe have to be? Now, uh, Niels Wall, um, very clever man, did not answer that question. He said that's up to the German judges to decide. Yeah. So the German judges and German authorities have some wriggle room in all of this. Well, yes and no. Um, I think that if you make a solid argument and you say, let's just go back to the rucksack example, mm -hmm. you can actually have a luxury rucksack. You can sell some sort of premium brand a rucksack. And so what's stopping you as a premium distributor of rucksacks to mm -hmm. say, I don't want these rucksacks to be sold on Amazon. That's my right as a manufacturer to do that and then um, what is the is the 
competition authority going to overrule that and say, well, actually, no, that's not, you know, something that needs to be protected. Everyone should be able to buy those uh, rucksacks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. I mean, I'm holding a pen, which I believe is a luxury pen, and I don't think this should appear on Amazon. So, you know, deal with it, guys. And, and people are ready and willing to spend thousands of euros on pens. <laughs> well, that's right. Anyway, look, all of this has made me want to go out and purchase um, some luxury goods online as soon as possible for as long as it's legal. So thank you very much for following the story for us. Now, Matthew Newman is the senior antitrust reporter in Brussels. He covers this part of the beat alongside Lewis Crofts and Mary Eccles. Matthew's analysis of the Advocate General's opinion is online now under the title Germany Might Have to Change Tack in Fight Against Bans on Online Marketplaces. And it's certainly worth a read. From me, James Panicki, and everyone here in MLEX's Brussels Bureau, thank you very much for your company today. Bye for now.